Chapter Eleven of A Gentleman of Leisure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Gentleman of Leisure by P. G. Woodhouse. Eleven, at the turn of the road. On the morning after the meeting at the Savoy, when Jimmy, having sent Spike off to the tailor's, was dealing with the combination of breakfast and lunch at his flat, Lord Drever called. Thought I should find you in observed his lordship. "'Well, laddie, how goes it? Having breakfast? Eggs and bacon? Great Scott! I couldn't touch a thing!' The statement was borne out by his looks. The son of a hundred earls was pale, and his eyes were markedly fish-like. "'A fellow I've got stopping with me, taking him down to Dreva with me to-day, man I met at the club, fellow named Hargate. Don't know if you know him? No?' Well, he was still up when I got back last night, and we stayed up playing pills. He's rotten at pills, something frightful. I give him thirty, till five this morning. I feel frightfully cheap. Wouldn't have got up at all, only I'm due to catch the two-fifteen down to Driva. It's the only good train." He dropped into a chair. "'Sorry you don't feel up to breakfast,' said Jimmy, helping himself to marmalade. I am generally to be found among those lining up when the gong goes. I've breakfasted on a glass of water and a bag of bird-seed in my time. That sort of thing makes you ready to take whatever you can get. Seen the papers?" Thanks. Jimmy finished his breakfast and lit a pipe. Lord Drever laid down the paper. I say, he said, what I came round about was this. What have you got on just now? Jimmy had imagined that his friend had dropped in to return the five-pound note he had borrowed, but his lordship maintained a complete reserve on the subject. Jimmy was to discover later that this weakness of memory where financial obligations were concerned was a leading trait in Lord Drever's character. "'Today, do you mean?' said Jimmy. "'Well, in the near future. What I mean is, why not put off that Japan trip you spoke about and come down to Drever with me?' Jimmy reflected. After all, Japan or Drever, it made very little difference. And it would be interesting seeing a place about which he had read so much. "'That's very good of you,' he said. "'You're sure it will be all right? It won't be upsetting your arrangements?' "'Not a bit. The more the merrier. Can't you catch the two-fifteen? It's fearfully short notice.' "'Heavens, yes. I can pack in ten minutes. Thanks very much.' Stout fellow! They'll be shooting and all that sort of rot. Oh, by the way, are you any good at acting? I mean, I believe there are going to be private theatricals of sorts. A man called Charteris is getting them up. Cambridge man, belongs to the footlights. Always getting up theatricals. Rot, I call it, but you can't stop him. Do you do anything in that line? Put me down for what you like from Emperor of Morocco to confused noise without. I was on the stage once. I'm particularly good at shifting scenery. Good for you. Well, so long. Two-fifteen from Paddington, remember. I'll meet you there. I've got to go and see a fellow now. I'll look out for you." A sudden thought occurred to Jimmy. Spike! He had forgotten Spike for the moment. It was vital that the Bowery boy should not be lost sight of again. He was the one link with the little house somewhere beyond 150th Street. 
he could not leave the Bowery boy at the flat. A vision rose in his mind of Spike alone in London with Savoy Mansions as a base for his operations. No, Spike must be transplanted to the country. He could not seem to see Spike in the country. His boredom would probably be pathetic, but it was the only way. Lord Drever facilitated matters. "'By the way, Pitt,' he said, "'you've got a man of sorts, of course. One of those frightful fellows who forget to pack your collars. Bring him along, of course.' "'Thanks,' said Jimmy. "'I will.' The matter had scarcely been settled when the door opened and revealed the subject of discussion. Wearing a broad grin of mingled pride and bashfulness, and looking very stiff and awkward in one of the brightest tweed suits ever seen off the stage, Spike stood for a moment in the doorway to let his appearance sink into the spectator, then advanced into the room. "'How do these strike you, boss?' he inquired genially, as Lord Drever gaped in astonishment at this bright being. "'Pretty near blind, Spike,' said Jimmy. "'What made you get those?' We use electric light here." Spike was full of news. "'Say, boss, that clothing store's a willy wonder, sure. The old mug which showed me round give me the frozen face when I came in foist. What's doin', he says. To the woods with you. Get the hook.' But I hands out the plunks you give me and tells him how I'm here to get a dude suit, and gee, if he don't haul out suits by the mile. Give me a toist, it did, watching him. It's up to you, says the mug. Choose something. You pays the money, and we does the rest. So, I says, this is the one, and I put down the plunks, and here I am, boss." "'I noticed that, Spike,' said Jimmy. I could see you in the dark. "'Don't you like the duds, boss?' inquired Spike anxiously. "'They're the last word,' said Jimmy. "'You'd make Solomon in all his glory look like a tramp cyclist.' "'That's right.' agreed Spike, days the limit." And, apparently oblivious to the presence of Lord Drever, who had been watching him in blank silence since his entrance, the Bowery boy proceeded to execute a mysterious shuffling dance on the carpet. This was too much for the overwrought brain of his lordship. "'Good-bye, Pitt,' he said. "'I'm off. Got to see a man.' Jimmy saw him to the door. Outside, Lord Drever placed the palm of his right hand on his forehead. I say, Pitt, he said. Hello. Who the devil's that? Who? Spike? Oh, that's my man. Your man? Is he always like that? I mean, going on like a frightful music-hall comedian? Dancing, you know? And I say, what on earth language was that he was talking? I couldn't understand one word in ten. Oh, that's American. The Bowery variety. Oh, well... I suppose it's all right if you understand it. I can't. By gad!" he broke off with a chuckle. I'd give something to see him talking to old Saunders, our butler at home. He's got the manners of a duke. Spike should revise those, said Jimmy. What do you call him? Spike. Rummy name, isn't it? Fashionable in the States, short for Algernon. He seemed pretty chummy. That's his independent bringing up. They're all like that in America. Jolly country. You'd love it. Well, so long. So long. On the bottom step, Lord Drever halted. I say, I've got it. Good for you, 
got what? Why, I knew I'd see that chap's face somewhere before, only I couldn't place him. I've got him now. He's the Johnny who came into the shelter last night, chap you gave a quid to." Spikes was one of those faces which, without being essentially beautiful, stamped themselves on the memory. "'You're quite right,' said Jimmy. I was wondering if you would recognize him. Would you prefer a cigar or a coconut? The fact is, he's a man I once employed over in New York, and when I came across him over here he was so evidently wanting a bit of help that I took him on again. As a matter of fact, I needed somebody to look after my things, and Spike can do it as well as anybody else." I see. Not bad my spotting him, was it? Well, I must be off. Good-bye. Two-fifteen at Paddington. Meet you there. Book for Drever if you're there before me. Right. Good-bye." Jimmy returned to the dining-room. Spike, who was examining as much as he could of himself in the glass, turned round with his wanted grin. "'Say, who's the gazebo, boss? Ain't he to mug you's wit last night?' "'That's the man. We're going down with him to the country today, Spike, so be ready.' "'On your way, boss. What's that?' "'He has invited us to his country-house, and we're going.' "'What? Both of us?' Yes, I told him you were my servant. I hope you aren't offended. Nit, what's there to be offended at, boss? That's all right. Well, we'd better be packing. We have to be at the station at a quarter to two. Sure. And Spike? Yes, boss? Did you get any other clothes besides what you've got on? Nit, what do I want with more than one dude suit? I approve your rugged simplicity said Jimmy. But what you're wearing is a town suit. Excellent for the park or the Marchioness's Thursday crush, but essentially metropolitan. You must get something else for the country, something dark and quiet. I'll come and help you choose it now. Why? Won't this go into country? Not in your life, Spike. It would unsettle the rustic mind. They're fearfully particular about that sort of thing in England. Days to the bad," said the baffled disciple of Beau Brummel, with deep discontent. And there's just one more thing, Spike. I know you'll excuse me mentioning it. When we're at Drever Castle you will find yourself within reach of a good deal of silver and other things. Would it be too much to ask you to forget your professional instincts? I mentioned this before in a general sort of way, but this is a particular case. Ain't I to get busy at all, then? queried Spike. "'Not so much as a salt-spoon,' said Jimmy firmly. "'Now, we'll whistle a cab and go and choose you some more clothes.' Accompanied by Spike, who came within an ace of looking almost respectable in new blue serge, small gents off the peg, Jimmy arrived at Paddington with a quarter of an hour to spare. Lord Drever appeared ten minutes later, accompanied by a man of about Jimmy's age. He was tall and thin with cold eyes and tight, thin lips. His clothes fitted him in the way clothes do fit one man in a thousand. They were the best part of him. His general appearance gave the idea that his meals did him little good, and his meditations rather less. He had practically no conversation. This was Lord Drever's friend Hargate, the Honorable Lewis Hargate. Lord Drever made the two acquainted. 
but even as they shook hands Jimmy had an impression that he had seen the man before, but where, or in what circumstances, he could not remember. Hargate appeared to have no recollection of him, so he did not mention the matter. A man who has led a wandering life often sees faces which come back to him later on, absolutely detached from their context. He might merely have passed Lord Drever's friend in the street. But Jimmy had an idea that the other had figured in some episode which at the moment had an importance. What that episode was had escaped him. He dismissed the thing from his mind. It was not worth harrying his memory about. Judicious tipping had secured them a compartment to themselves. Hargate, having read the evening paper, went to sleep in the far corner. Jimmy and Lord Drever, who sat opposite one another, fell into a desultory conversation. At reading, Lord Drever's remarks took a somewhat intimate turn. Jimmy was one of those men whose manner invites confidences. His lordship began to unburden his soul of certain facts relating to the family. "'Have you ever met my uncle Thomas?' he inquired. "'You know Blunt's stores? Well, he's Blunt. It's a company now, but he still runs it. He married my aunt. You'll meet him at Drever.' Jimmy said he would be delighted. "'I bet you won't,' said the last of the Drevers, with candor. "'He's a frightful man, the limit. Always fussing round like a hen. Gives me a fearful time, I can tell you. Look here, I don't mind telling you, we're pals. He's dead set on my marrying a rich girl.' Well, that sounds all right. There are worse hobbies. Any particular rich girl? There's always one. He sticks me on to one after another. Quite nice girls, you know, some of them, only I want to marry somebody else. That girl you saw me with at the Savoy. Why don't you tell your uncle? He'd have a fit. She hasn't a penny. Nor have I, except what I get from him. Of course, this is strictly between ourselves. Of course. I know everybody thinks there's money attached to the title, but there isn't, not a penny. When my Aunt Julia married Sir Thomas, the whole frightful show was pretty well in pawn. So you see how it is. Ever think of work? asked Jimmy. Work? said Lord Drever reflectively. Well, you know, I shouldn't mind work, only I'm dashed if I can see what I could do. I shouldn't know how. Nowadays you want a fearful specialized education and so on. Tell you what, though, I shouldn't mind the diplomatic service. One of these days I shall have a dash at asking my uncle to put up the money. I believe I shouldn't be half bad at that. I'm rather a quick sort of chap at times, you know. Lots of fellows have said so. He cleared his throat modestly and proceeded. It isn't only my uncle Thomas, he said. There's Aunt Julia, too. She's about as much the limit as he is. I remember when I was a kid she was always sitting on me. She does still. Wait till you see her. Sort of woman who makes you feel that your hands are the color of tomatoes and the size of legs of mutton, if you know what I mean, and talks as if she were biting at you. Frightful!" Having unburdened himself of which criticism, he yawned, leaned back, and was presently asleep. 
It was about an hour later that the train, which had been taking itself less seriously for some time, stopping at all stations of quite minor importance, and generally showing a tendency to dawdle, halted again. A board with the legend Dreaver in large letters showed that they had reached their destination. The station-master informed Lord Dreaver that her ladyship had come to meet the train in the motor-car, and was now waiting in the road outside. Lord Dreaver's jaw fell. "'Oh, Lord,' he said, "'she's probably motored in to get the afternoon letters. That means she's come in the runabout, and there's only room for two of us in that. I forgot to write that you were coming, Pitt. I only wired about Hargate. Dash it, I shall have to walk.' His fears proved correct. The car at the station-door was small. It was obviously designed to seat four only. Lord Dreaver introduced Hargate and Jimmy to the statuesque lady in the tonneau, and then there was an awkward silence. At this point Spike came up, chuckling amiably with a magazine in his hand. "'Gee,' said Spike, "'say, boss, the mug what wrote this piece must have been livin' out in the woods. Say, there's a gazebo who wants to swipe the heroine's jewels what's locked in a drawer. So this mug, what do you think he does?' Spike laughed shortly in professional scorn. Why, is this gentleman a friend of yours, Spinney? inquired Lady Julia politely, eyeing the red-haired speaker coldly. It's... He looked appealingly at Jimmy. It's my man, said Jimmy. Spike, he added in an undertone, to the woods. Chase yourself. Fade away. Sure, said the abashed Spike. That's right. It ain't up to me to come button in. Sorry, boss. Sorry, gents. Sorry, Lloydie. Me for the tall grass." "'There's a luggage-cart of sorts,' said Lord Dreaver, pointing. "'Sure,' said Spike affably. He trotted away. "'Jump in, Pitt,' said Lord Dreaver. "'I'm going to walk.' "'No, I'll walk,' said Jimmy. "'I'd rather. I want a bit of exercise. Which way do I go?' "'Frightfully good of you, old chap.' said Lord Dreaver. Sure you don't mind? I do bar walking. Right-o, you keep straight on." Jimmy watched them out of sight and started to follow at a leisurely pace. It certainly was an ideal afternoon for a country walk. The sun was just hesitating whether to treat the time as afternoon or evening. Eventually it decided that it was evening and moderated its beams. After London the country was deliciously fresh and cool. Jimmy felt an unwanted content. It seemed to him just then that the only thing worth doing in the world was to settle down somewhere with three acres and a cow and become pastoral. There was a marked lack of traffic on the road. Once he met a cart, and once a flock of sheep with a friendly dog. Sometimes a rabbit would dash out into the road, stop to listen, and dart into the opposite hedge, all hind legs and white scut but except for these he was alone in the world. And gradually there began to be borne in upon him the conviction that he had lost his way. It is difficult to judge distance when one is walking, but it certainly seemed to Jimmy that he must have covered five miles by this time. He must have mistaken the way. He had certainly come straight. He could not have come straighter. On the other hand, it would be quite in keeping with the cheap substitute which served the Earl of Dreaver in place of a mind that he should have forgotten to mention some important turning. 
Jimmy sat down by the roadside. As he sat, there came to him from down the road the sound of a horse's feet trotting. He got up. Here was somebody at last who would direct him. "'Hello,' he said. "'Accident? And by Jove a side-saddle!' Jimmy stopped the horse and led it back the way it had come. As he turned the bend in the road, he saw a girl in a riding-habit running towards him. She stopped running when she caught sight of him and slowed down to walk. "'Thank you ever so much,' she said, taking the reins from him. "'Dandy, you naughty old thing!' Jimmy looked at her flushed, smiling face and stood staring. It was Molly McEckern. End of chapter 11